Welcome, everybody. It's episode 45, Differentiation. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannett, and this is the Stem Cell Podcast. What up, Yosef? Oh, how's it going over there? I'm uh, doing well on my end. Um, differentiation. What's that all about? We got differentiation, a, man. Yeah, yeah it's like very direct. I know it's kind of all no pun, no pun intended. Ah, oh, nice directed differentiation. Good, right? Yeah, good. I like that. So, uh, yeah, tell us about the guests. We got uh, somebody from Thermo coming on today. Yeah, we got somebody from Thermo Fisher Scientific, Alex Hanny. I hope I got that right, dude. I hope yeah. so. We'll ask him. Me too. Um, coming on the show, he's going to talk us about differentiation um you know the process we talk obviously we talk about it on the show and every scientist or stem cell scientist at least will know that but for those who don't differentiation is really the other um characteristic there are two hallmarks of a stem cell and um it basically is turning into things right Yos, if you had to describe it in a lay term it's how the stem cell it's when the stem cell turns into something I like to use the analogy of like a chef, you know, everybody's got their own formula, their own, you know, pinch of salt here, this and that. But uh, we tend to publish our protocols and everybody tries to uh, recreate it. So uh, it's kind of like the cooking phase, uh, I guess. Yeah, I, it, know, is the, it is exactly what it is. And so they have, they have these recipes Yosef's talking about that you can go get and add to your cells, your stem cells, your pluripotent stem cells, and it will make the cake that you're interested in and uh so he'll tell us about those and then yosef and i'll have some questions about um you know the those you know the the, the biology and stuff right yosef that goes into it and all that stuff so we'll, we'll, we'll it'll, it'll be an interesting conversation i'm looking forward to talking about that from both sides from someone who uses you know does differentiations but is also interested in understanding how it works Mm. Um, Yos, it's beautiful here today. It's like 65 and sunny, man. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm kind of over that uh, pollen hump. I could breathe again. So Yeah, great. man. It was pretty brutal. It was yeah. really brutal. Did you know, I know we should get going, but did you know that tonight is David Letterman's last night? Oh, uh, tonight? Hosting wow. Tonight is the night. Wow. You know, it's 30, 33 years, I think it was. That's the end of an era, yeah. He looks young yeah, man. for his, I mean, he's older, but. He, he looks, looks good. Yeah. He looks good. He how old is Dave Letterman? Uh, he's got to be uh, pushing 70. Se- 70, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, I'm not sure David Letterman won't hear the podcast, but uh, <laughs> congratulations, Dave. Yes, um, yes. So I mean, Stem Cell Podcast, you know, the official podcast of the International Society for Stem Cell Research, the ISSCR. Go uh, to isscr.org and check them out. Register for Sweden. Sweden. Yes. Um, it's creeping, man. Yeah, it's I'm creeping. excited. Yep, mid, mid I'm real excited. Um um, we're going to have a great time on so many fronts. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. You guys should all go there. So make sure you go register. Still time. Um, stemcellpodcast.com. Go check us out. Sign up for the newsletter. We'll give you information. Everything you need, we got. Yeah, we got um, the, the articles that we cite during the roundup. Uh, we, we, you could sign up for the newsletter, correct? And uh, yeah, get man. some uh, emails from us just once every two weeks. So uh, we're not going to blow up your inbox. Thank you for the people out there that have emailed and are interested in volunteering and helping the podcast at ISSCR. Um, we're still looking for other helpers. Um, it's not really a lot of work that would require a lot of time. Um, we just want help getting people to come tell us their stem cell story at the booth. So come check us out. Get a nice T-shirt. I love the T-shirt. I stole Yosef's actually recently. Yeah, did. <laughs> I, I definitely did. Yeah, I didn't think it fit him, but it and did. It, it did. You know, it was great. It was like a worn-in T-shirt. Those are better. You know, like it, 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 like it fits. But the shirts are. You know what I was saying? The shirts, shirts are awesome. You should go check them out online. 
Yeah. They're a great shirt. They fit really nice. The the funny part is they're mouse embryonic fibroblast on it, and sometimes they look like lint on your shirt, and you're like, so you're just wiping your shirt. <laughs> and there's really maps. nothing there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, all right, so let's do let's do the roundup. Um, and the roundup, as always, is sponsored by Thermo, and we got one of the Thermo guys coming on today, so it's fitting. Um, you're gonna be able, you're gonna hear about some stuff. They're gonna tell you where to get it. But if you want more info, you can go to the the website stemcellpodcast.com and click on the banner. And uh, they'll hook you up with all the info you may need. Yost, my man, I think we should do it. All right. There was a nature chemical biology study where they turned yeast into a microbial factory for producing morphine. Uh, so the 15-step chemical pathway in the poppy plant can now be done in yeast, uh, theoretically. Uh, it's going to take a few more you know, scaling up and to, to make this happen, but they've actually completed the the cycle so uh they were able to replicate the early steps of uh synthesizing reticulum which is a poppy uh compound in poppy uh that comes from tyrosine which is a derivative of glucose so they used the repurposed enzymes uh enzyme from you know the beet plant and uh yeah. that produces their bright pigments pigments and uh could coax the yeast to convert the tyrosine into dopamine and then ultimately reticuline and uh they were are now like the there was a write-up in nature about this uh where they're worried about people making their own morphine and coding at home because no nah, come yeah, on if you know the basic fermentation process you know a yeast if you could work with them you could theoretically do this so uh you know it, it's it's an interesting idea being able to make something like drugs without the poppy plant uh it's it's kind of a big feat that they were able to accomplish with this. Uh, so you can find that in Nature Chemical Biology. There was a neuron study show, uh, where they successfully recreated the critical period in adult in the brains of adult mice. So they reactivated brain plasticity by transplanting GABAergic neurons, GABA neurons. You know our favorite inner neuron. GABA GABA. Uh, into the visual cortex of adult mice with uh, vision impairment called amblyopia. Uh, so after the transplant, the mice began to see with normal visual acuity. So you can find that study over in Neuron. G- GABA neurons are like the brakes of the brain for everybody out there. They're, they're the neurons that slow everything down. Yeah, imagine driving a car without brakes. So they're pretty important. GABA. Yeah, uh, there was a nature study detailing why we... Men exist. So, uh, the sex- Can I just tell you that or not? <laughs> no. So uh, sexual selection of men competing for women provides the benefit of improving the genetic health of populations, the, these scientists found. So they did this by using the flower beetle and evolved them over 10 years. Can you imagine doing this for 10 years under conditions in the laboratory where the only difference between populations was the intensity of sexual selection during each adult reproductive age. And after seven years of reproduction representing 50 generations, the study explored the underlying genetic health of the resulting populations and used experimental inbreeding to reveal the relative amount of deleterious mutations that lay in each population. Now, they found the populations that had previously experienced strong sexual selection maintained higher fitness and were resilient to extinction in the face of inbreeding of up to 20 generations. So uh, populations that experienced weak or non-existent sexual selection showed more rapid declines in health 
under inbreeding and all went extinct by the 10th generation. So imagine like doing this for <laughs> 10 years, this study, uh, where they were like, okay, you're either going to compete for a mate or make out with your sister or brother. So they, they, they really, <laughs> they really. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought about that choice for a second. I got it. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of Jamie Lannister there. Oh my god! Yeah, Chris and I are on the Game of Thrones uh, series. So, uh, moving on, there was a science paper where they dis- uh, di- a discovery of quasars uh, within seven hundred light years. 700,000 light years of each other. Now, quasars are these huge, you know, supermassive black holes at the heart of galaxies, and they shine really bright because uh, they're swallowing up gas that surrounds them. And typically, these superluminous celestial objects are about 100 million miles from each other. So to see four within 700,000 of each wow. other is like they're basically the reason why it's in science is because they're going to have to change the theories about quasars due to this quartet. So, uh, wait, super luminous what celestial objects, dude? Yeah. Uh, that's an awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, there was an analyst uh, journal study showing a new way of testing for cocaine using the fingerprint. So when someone takes cocaine, they secrete traces of benzo uh, I can't. I'm going to destroy this. Benzoylecognine and methylcognine as a metabol as a metabolite of the drug. So they sprayed a beam of solvent onto a fingerprint slide, and the techniques known as desorption electrospray ionization or desi so imagine being able to do a drug test with just a fingerprint so uh that's an analyst yeah uh there was a stem cell report study uh that came out this week Uh, an injection of human embryonic stem cell derived retinal support cells into the eyes of four men with macular degeneration uh three of the men experienced visual improvements in their treated eyes in the year following the procedure while a fourth man's vision remained largely the same uh the korean company cha biotech carried out the trial and act uh, you know, advanced cell technologies. Uh, they re- they their new company. Uh, they're now known as Okata Therapeutics. Provided the embryonic stem cells and the methodology methodology for of instruction. And two men with dry macular degeneration and two men with Stargardt mass uh, macular dystrophy uh the older man with age-related macular dystrophy had uh he was the one who didn't see uh any improvement uh but while the other three did um and there was the good news is there was no immune rejection of the cells oh that's good and they gave immunosuppressants just in case even though the eye is uh immunoprivileged so um Pretty encouraging moving forward with macular degen. Um, so you can find that in stem cell reports. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. This isn't really a study, but the Allen Brain Institute came out with their new cell types database uh, where they took 240 neurons found in the brains of mice. And the data includes information about the neurons, electrical activity, morphology, as well as their location. Right now, they're just in the visual cortex, but they're expanding and they're using Cree reporters to purify the cells and 
give you all their information. So a uh, new database from Allen Brain Institute. There was a neuropsychopharmacology study showing that people who successfully quit smoking uh, have greater connectivity in the insula, the brain region that controls impulse and craving, and uh, than the people who try to quit smoking. So they, uh, they used MRI and saw greater communication between neurons in the insula and the somatosensory cortex. So uh, maybe that's why some people are able to quit cold turkey. You know what? That that makes sense to me. You know, yeah. like you would do that because yeah. that that would require us like a serious, you know, uh, able to like curb a primal dopaminergic urge. You know, and yeah. we should be rewarded for that in some way. Yeah. Uh, there was a nature genetics study describing how uh, the emergence of antibiotic-resistant typhoid strains have become widespread on the planet. So they collected over 1,800 samples of salmonella typhi uh, from 63 countries and sequenced them uh, and found 47% were antibiotic-resistant were an antibiotic-resistant strain called H58 and that it first emerged in South Asia 25 to 30 years ago and spread to uh, Southeast Asia, East and South Africa and Fiji. And its spread tracks the use of antibiotics. So uh, you can find that in Nature Genetics. And finally, I'm going to end with a, not a study, but a, a press release from a company called Cali Stem with a K. Uh, claims to have successfully grown complete human spermatozoa in vitro using patients' uh, testicular biopsies. Uh, the process takes three days and comes from undifferentiated spermatogonia, and uh, they're basically starting preclinical and clinical trials over the next two years. And this could help 50,000 infertile men each year. So, uh, wow. If their claim is true, uh, that'd be a big deal. So uh, That's awesome. Yeah, check that out. Thanks, uh, man. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do mine, and then we'll get to the interview. So let's see. I'll start with – you got, You remember I was talking about Gordy Howe, that whole thing yes, surrounding I, I Gordy. Gordy yeah. is the, uh, the Red Wing NHL great, like awesome. And um, I don't know how old he is. He's an older man now. And so he went – to get a stem cell transplant, yeah, a stem a cell stroke, therapy. Right? He had a stroke, right? Yeah, he had a stroke, so a massive stroke. Him and John Brody, I think it's another sports star. Um, so they go to Tijuana, and they get one of these, you know, injected cell trans cell ther- therapies. Now, the company claims, um, I believe it's Stem Medica Cell Tech, they claim they, that they're adult stem cells. So... Um, uh, two things. A lot of people think that they got better. They did get better, but a lot of people think that they got better just because patients who have these kind of strokes tend to get better. Oh. You know, they might they might not get like you know fully healed, but there's a recovery of some sort. It's not it's not so um, off. But the other people were like two. Some the other side is like you have two people go and it works. Like that's a bit of a coincidence. Anyway, the real other controversy that's coming around now is when they looked into it more, they found out that they injected both adult and fetal. Stem cells. Whoa. So they do like adult mesenchymal stem cells and fetal neural stem cells from a 44 gestine, gestation age, excuse me, gestation age of 14 to 16 weeks. So that's a young fetus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so um, now that's in the – and so they talk to the guy, right? Um, I guess this is the CEO. Yo, so this is what he says. We don't use the word fetal too much. 
We don't want to get people confused about what it is. They're really considered legally adult stem cells, even if they're fetally de- fetal derived. What? Oh. <laughs> that, <that's, laughs> what does that even mean? That's some smoke and mirrors. Right so there. he basically was saying that the whole time that they were adult stem cells to avoid the controversy, and then it got found out they were actually fetal. And what he's saying is that they can call them they're fetal just because they're younger, but they're really still adult. Yeah, yeah, no. Dude, you're putting fetal stem cells into people. <laughs> yeah, just... let's let's get over it, man. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, for good or for bad, however you want to feel, uh, there's some controversy still brewing around this thing. This guy, he went and now. It, but remember, you can go. Remember, we had uh, Megan on and Mario Yos. Yeah, yeah. You guys are really interested about stem cell transplants. Go check out a closer look. Episode uh, 43, I think. Yeah, 43. Yeah. But so on the same now, this is a different um, report that stem cell clinics are spreading rapidly. And the FDA is now going to step in because the science is obviously, they're saying dubious is the word they use. I love using dubious, the word. <laughs> um, there's more than 170 clinics across the country, dude, that are selling experimental stem cell procedures. It's crazy. So they're saying that um, the rise of this industry illustrates how quickly fringe, med- they call it fringe medicine, can outpace government oversight. Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy. Um, they're saying here that in 2010, only a handful of doctors are promoting stem cell procedures, uh, mainly plastic surgeons who are stem cell facelifts, you know, and they range from five to 25 grand. And now it's said it's just like proliferated like crazy and they're everywhere. What so, is a stem cell facelift? I, I know we talked about no the, idea. the sheep stem cells people are using. Remember that? that? Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Um, um, okay. So the FDA is like stepping it up its oversight, I guess. It's released a draft of guidelines dealing with popular fat-based stem cell techniques and all this stuff. So they're finally starting to move in on this and uh, we'll see what happens. You remember the story, Yosef, in Science that was published by Amy Wagers and yes. Lee Rubin about GDF-11? Yes, yes. So, they making uh, blood young again. Yeah, so what they did was they do uh, parabiosis. So basically what you do is you take two animals like in this case um it's a rodent model and you you basically join their circulatory systems you, you so make you, them like you, siamese twins yeah basically like become siamese twins. exactly they share circulation so in in this study what they did was they took a young mouse and an old mouse and they hooked them up and what they found was when they did the older mouse had rejuvenated like stem cells. I think it was in the muscle, Joseph. Like it was creating like new, you know, it was basically made the old young in, in this context. But they took it a step further and they found that there was this protein in the blood responsible called GDF11. And they're able, they were able to recapitulate that with GDF, GDF11 or in some capacity. I don't really remember. I don't want to say that. So, there was the, a paper. So this is a huge finding. Remember, Yos? This yeah, is yeah. huge. We covered it. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Because you're rejuvenating like old. It's like the Holy Grail, endogenous activation of old stem cells to make young, young things. It's like incredible. So there was a recent paper. It just came out in Cell Metabolism by a Novartis group. And they are questioning the results of that paper. Really? Um, it's being challenged by a Novartis research center. They're challenging GDF-11's rejuvenating powers, and they publish their work in cell metabolism. Um, and what their results suggest is that GDF-11 actually inhibits muscle regeneration. Hmm. So these are some quotes. The whole premise is incorrect. Uh, this is Michael Rudnicki at the Ottawa Hospital who wrote a commentary. Others are more cautious but agree that the new work undermines part of GDF claim. GDF-11 does not go down with age. So their fundamental claim, Yosef, was that that protein declines with age. And if you restore it, you renew, right? 
Yeah. This work shows that GDF11 does not go down with age, like does not at all. And in fact, it's inhibitory to muscle regeneration. So it's very different. They're like calling out Amy's work. Amy was on this little, this is in uh, science. I'm reading this. Uh, sci- uh, Amy stands by her as they interview her. So this is like a new thing going back and forth. And that's a pretty big, significant finding. So we'll have to read. I'll put the paper and cell metabolism up. You guys can go read it about what they say. You should check that out. Uh, we should do that paper maybe in more depth next time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would not want to take on Lee Rubin and Amy Wager. So, no, I wouldn't either. Yeah, but that makes you think maybe it is. Maybe they really feel that strongly about it. Who knows? Yeah. Um, this was a, a paper published. Um, stem stem cells could provide a treatment for a broken heart. This is the release on it. Um, so you know that's like a fun title. But basically, what they found is that there's a way. In a heart, I guess in a heart attack, your muscle becomes starved of oxygen. That gets damaged. Um, and what they found is that the heart contains these dormant or sleeping stem cells. And they can go ahead and awaken them. And that will differentiate into resident heart cells and help to restore the muscle. I mean, in waking up stem cells already inside us is obviously arguably better because you don't have to transplant anything in. So um, that's, a, that's a cool study. Um, Let's see. This is um, a little hardcore um, pluripotent bio. Remember the age, Remember that wave of naive uh, stem cells? We had uh, – who do we have on? We had uh, Austin Smith on and we had even Paul Tizar. We were talking about that. So this was, came, this was in Nature Communications. Reinforcement of STAT3 activity reprograms human ES cells to naive like pluripotency. So naive is the kind of uber pluripotent cell. And human embryonic stem cell is just a step upstream, so step downstream. I'm sorry. So we used to, lift, call, it, we used to call it the ground state. And the now, ground state. Yeah, now we call it naive, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Um, so I guess <clears throat> one of the major differences in culture is that the ground state cell requires a lift. Um, it's a le- leukemia inhibitory factor. It's a cytokine. And that signals through STAT3. I see. Um, yep, yep. Right. Yep. So what they what they suggest is kind of very very obvious logic that if you restore or you force the expression of STAT three um, in human ES cells or pluripotent stem cells in a combination with I guess two I and LIF you know that two I LIF strategy yep. goes um, you can you can increase STAT three I'm sorry that 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 just that little bit of increase in STAT three can help reprogram them back hmm. to a uh, naive state so that was interesting and then. I'll just end here. This is in stem cell reports. A high, a high, how do you say it? It goes a hyaluron. Hyaluron. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. right? Hyaluron. Hyaluron based <laughs> injectable hydrogel uh-huh. improves the survival and integration of stem cell progeny following transplantation. So, Yosef is familiar with these kind of strategies. Yosef does a lot of transplantation. A hyaluron and like a hydrogel is kind of like, I describe it, it'd be like a slippery, it's like a scaffold, mm. really. Yeah. Um, and so um, these guys designed in this injectable and bioresorbable hydrogel and um, were able to use it to help in transplant efficiency so they can put cells on it and deliver it. Then they'll degrade it, but the cells are more likely integrate into their target. Um, so it's just another strategy. Yosef was involved with some strategies too to increase transplantation. That's, they seem to work, right? That's a nice scaffolding there. That sounds, sounds like Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's very cool. Cool. Um, it's like a map helping them get, I guess, to their destination. All right. So that, that's what we got. You can go on stemcellpodcast.com, click on the episode and you'll get all the links, even some 
Joseph and I sometimes don't get to get through everything, but we put all the links up. So if we don't talk about it, you can still find it up there. All right, Joseph, let's get to Alex. Let's move on to the next uh, next portion right. here. Okay, Chris, why don't you bring on our guest? All right, thanks, Joseph. So we have Alex Hanai here from Thermo Fisher, uh, product manager. Um, and like we said in the beginning of the show, Yo, so we're going to talk about differentiation and some different contexts. Um, Alex, welcome to the Stem Cell Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, you know, we're going to talk differentiation today. Before we get into that, um, you know, we, we always ask our guests if they uh, have a scientific background of some format to tell us how they got into science, you know, and then kind of how it brought you, brought you to where you currently are right now. Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm, um, I have a background in just general cell biology and neuroscience, um, went to Rutgers University, and then I actually started out in, uh, in Big Pharma working at Johnson & Johnson for a little while and um, ended up, you know, I was working with hepatocytes, other cell models, um, lots of different cell lines, primary cells, and then ended up um, actually going to a company that was acquired by um, by Invitrogen at the time, um, and I kind of got into more of the technical applications of, of um, you know, customers working with primary cells and cell lines. And of course, uh, the natural progression for, for for us and for some labs in terms of you know advanced cell models was to go into the stem cell area. So um, it seemed like. Uh, a good next step. So um, I really just kind of got into um, the stem cell workflow and working with customers and learning and getting in the lab um, and found myself in, in product management. So it's been uh, it's been kind of a seven or eight year ride into product management for stem cell products, but um, I find it really rewarding to really bring you know new cutting edge technologies to the market. So for the you know we have a lot of young scientists uh, listening to the show. And we typically have people at the bench on the show, majority of our interviews. So for as a, in terms of career, would you mind just before we get into you know, the topic of differentiation, just letting everybody know what, what, what a product, product manager does, you know, maybe a little insight into that world. So I, I think maybe that'd be cool for them to understand what, that, what, what you do there. Sure. So um, sort of the classical definition of a product manager is, is you know, figuring out what are the problems that our customers are facing in the market. So... Um, what hurdles they're trying to overcome, um, what are their pain points, and then really taking that information and, and, and working with you know, people in R&D to create solutions for it, um, and then taking that product to market, um, messaging it to customers on, on how they can use it and how it will benefit them, and um, you know, really helping those at the bench to be able to do the work that they need to do. So uh, I mean, that's important. Like. Yos, can you hear me all right with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was Oh, just, I'm sorry. I, no, man. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just thought maybe you couldn't hear me. Go ahead, man. No, no. I was just going to say, so uh, do you do you uh, wear a lab coat or are you wearing a suit to work? Is uh, Are you at the bench or are you primarily doing like uh, pr- uh, presentations or, um, or just strategic meetings where you're just trying to figure out with the scientists uh, where to go with the products? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a mix of things, right? It's it's getting out in the field and meeting with customers and, and finding out what their pain points are. It's it's setting strategy for the business as well. So so you know, um, making recommendations on on which way to go in terms of um, you know developing products that will enable science, um, and then also spending some time at the bench. You know, I mean I. Um, I think every single product manager is is has a scientific background of, of some sort, and we still like to think that we're scientists. So, so really staying you know on top of um, what everyone is doing, you know, 
in our in in R and D and making sure that you know technically we can be able to speak with customers in terms of what they're doing. So it's kind of a mix of a lot of things. Great. You know, I feel, I I know this more so now being involved with a uh, a smaller reagent company that feedback from the scientists is it, I mean this is an obvious statement, right? Is so important for the person on the other side and the people on the other side creating the product. And a lot of time, we don't really appreciate that when we're at the bench and people are, you know, you have people come in and they want to talk to you. But if we take the time to talk with industry, uh, I feel like the products will be more tailored to what we, the scientists, uh, really want. So it's an important, it's an important position and it's a, it's very important that we, you know, offer our opinions. Chris, I have a question. Have you ever been polled by like a product manager? Because I feel like it's sort of like with politics. I've never had a, whole call like somebody call me and see who i'm voting for and I, i'm wondering who's conducting these polls and questionnaires because it, it's never come to me so have you ever been polled by say like a, a product manager like what what are the like he said pain points yeah i mean i don't know and alex i mean maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and I, 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 this has turned into a very interesting conversation i'm just keeping track of time because i want to talk about differentiation but you know what i get yos i mean a lot with with sales reps you establish a relationship with a sales rep you know you buy a lot of a particular thing and then through those conversations you might you know the you, your your conversations might get relayed through so you're not really being pulled but you have a relationship that you've built and your relationship allows you to rant and complain and <laughs> or say good things and I, I would imagine that goes back up the chain or into the chain and, and Alex right I mean and I'm sure they're direct polls I don't really I don't participate in a lot of those though yeah yeah I mean so there's, there's various ways of getting feedback from the field as you said through, through sales reps um, and you know sometimes I'm the guy barging into your lab asking you you know what you're doing what your pain points are um, and there's many ways of sort of looking at that there's there's surveys there's there's something called user-centered innovation where we can actually watch the way that you work um, if you guys remember um, the Gibco bottle it used to be that round bottle with the with the uh, spout on the top and now it's what we call the boxy bottle yeah that was a yeah I remember those old yeah I remember those bottles so that was a classic example of user-centered innovation where people were reaching up over the bottle and they had to get their, their elbow into the hood and they had to open the hood even more and risk contamination. So now they can do it from an angle. Um, so that's kind of a classic example of, of user-centered innovation. But, I mean, every, so every single product that we develop starts with a list of user requirements. So those, those requirements always come from the users and then the product is always designed around that. So it's, it's really having you know, rigor in our design excellence and getting feedback from the field whenever we design a product. We never do inside out. Nice. So that's very, very cool, very interesting. And um, again, like for uh, thank you for doing that because a lot of times these uh, younger scientists are, are, are kind of, we're always kind of blind to these positions, right, Yosef? But they're very interesting and are very important for the whole field to move forward. Yeah. Um, let's talk differentiation. Alex, you know, I guess if if you were had to explain differentiation to the average average person on the street, why why don't you try to you know do that and everybody let everybody know really the concept? Sure. So um, there's a couple things. Really, what you're trying to do with stem cell differentiation is you're trying to mimic what happens in vivo, right, in a dish. Um, so. Whenever cells go down a particular lineage in vivo and the fetus is developing, there's certain cues that the cells are going under to become an ultimate cell type. So really what you're doing from a practical standpoint is you're mimicking that in a dish. So you're exposing the stem cells to various chemical cues um, to be able to become an ultimate cell type. Um, 
I always like to say, and it, it, it kind of bugs um, some of our product managers in, in, in the stem cell expansion space, but you know, nobody cultures stem cells just to culture stem cells. They're, they're going to be doing something with them, right? And really the, the ultimate promise of, of, of iPSCs, of ESCs, is their ability to differentiate to functional downstream lineages and then what you can do with that. So essentially you have an, an, an unlimited supply of, of, of donor cells to be able to um, you know, model biology, um, so to do something like disease in a dish, um, to, to create models for drug discovery and ultimately um, cell therapies. So you're a neuroscientist, and uh, so are Chris and I. Um, what 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 products do you offer, or like, uh, is this just a media that is premixed with the you know dual SMAD inhibition, or what what's going on in terms of neuroscience, uh, in terms of uh, differentiation medias? So um, the I guess the, the the big product we have in that space is our neural induction medium. So really, it, it it's a um, it produces neural stem cells from pluripotent stem cells in about seven days. Uh, there's no need to go through um, EB formation, so it's 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 a simplified version of it. It's very scalable, um, and um, so it it, it kind of produces an intermediate where you can you can bank you know multiple donors that at that neural stem cell stage and then go down and differentiate those neural stem cells to whether it be glia or, or neurons. So, you know, Yosef and I can differentiation in the dish to, uh, you know, a recipe and, uh, you know, making your, your, I always say you're trying to make the cake and there are, there are different cakes to make. Um, you know, Yosef was talking about the neural lineage because that's our bias, which is an ectodermal, and then there's the mesodermal and endodermal, which are the three main lineages of the body. And so there's protocols for each one. And I guess the approach here, Alex, is to help standardize the recipes at the idea so that people could just, you know, anybody could make endoderm if they need to. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So a lot of the, the upfront work that we did, you know, talking to, to the bench scientists was, yeah, you know, I have a way of doing it, but it's cumbersome. It's very labor intensive. Um, it takes a lot of time. I get inconsistent results. So really what we try to do um, whenever we develop a differentiation solution is, is, is three things. So reduce the guesswork. So have less media configurations. So you're not building the media every single time in the lab. Uh, reduce the effort, so less steps and less time. Also, making sure the researcher is not not tied to the bench, um, but at the same time, making sure that whatever the output is, that the cells are highly functional. So, really providing the researcher a compelling reason to believe, not just saying, "Hey, you can make cardiomyocytes or you can make definitive endoderm," but showing that you know they're functional, um, they can be further differentiated, and so on. Now, I, I have a question about, like, uh, proprietary information. Like, you know, Coca-Cola, the, their their formula for making Coca-Cola is obviously, like, their best-kept secret. Um, but, like, as scientists, we have to know what's, you know, you want also a defined media, uh, something that's fully defined. So you inherently have to know what's in it, I guess. Uh, so is there a tension between... Uh, you know, you don't want to give away the the formula, but also scientists wanting to know what is fully defined or what that that actually means. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because there's there's different um, definitions of, of fully defined, but we we really believe that fully defined to be completely animal origin free, so right. chemically defined. Um, most of our media 
they don't reach that form of, of chemically defined. And um, it, it's interesting that you said tension because we, we do get a lot of researchers that say, well, I need to know what, what pathways are being you know, activated or inhibited with this particular product. Um, and we are acutely aware of the importance of that. Um, and actually, if you, if you call our tech services line, they have um, some pretty clear guidance on what they can tell you and what they can't tell you. Mm. Um, so, but for all, almost all of our products, we do indicate um, you know, which pathways are being in, in, inhibited or, or activated so the researcher is, is kept abreast of that. You, you know, Yost, the other side to that is that um, some people don't necessarily care about how the cake is made. They just want the cake, you know. Um, whereas some people, like myself, are asking more basic questions early. It's it's more important that I understand what's going on because I need to, you know, break that down. So I guess, I you know, there's a whole huge part of stem cell biology where you just want to make consistent cardiomyocytes. So um, I guess in that aspect, it's not as important, um, you know. Um, I would imagine so, right, Yos? Um, so, I mean... These are. I'm interested about this process of it, and this maybe goes into the product management. Do you do you have kind of like a you know you, so you have this idea and you have it in the lab and then it checks out. Do you have a like a beta test period where you're working with labs and they try it out for you and they give you feedback? Because I would imagine that that would be a, a you know a nice confirmation that what you have is something that's going to be robust. Yeah, we um, we do have a beta testing period, and it's, it's it's pretty much a requirement to launch a product here at Thermo Fisher, where you really need to say, okay, I've gone out in the field, I've, I've asked the you know the customer what the requirements are, I've built around that, but have I have I fulfilled the promise of what I said I was going to do? So before we launch a product, it's usually you know three to six months before the launch, we'll you know talk to various labs, say, hey, you're interested in beta testing it, and and make sure that the feedback that we get meets the requirements that we think the product should have met. So, no, I think that's very important. It's like a would help me to buy the product for sure to know that other people have used it in it. Um, so you know I, that it checked out. I have a question about uh, what's actually available right now. So we already covered uh, the neural stem cell uh, media. Uh, what 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 other? I mean, I, we mentioned cardiomyocytes, but is there some for blood or uh, I guess bone or skin cells, fibroblasts? Um, what what's actually out there right now? Yes. Yeah, so we have the as you mentioned the, the uh, cardiomyocyte differentiation kit. Um, Produces functional uh, functional cardiomyocytes in in um, about 14 days. Um, again, it's one of these systems where it's a three part media system. You don't have to mix anything; it's ready to go. Nice. Um, a product we recently launched was a definitive endoderm induction kit, and that is um, it's, it's a two part system used over two days. So you get about 99% um, SOX17, FOXA2 positive cells. So we've had really really good feedback from the field on that. Um, in fact. One of our researchers um, has said that, hey, this has really helped me get over that hump of the DE because they said, I, I have you know, really no use for definitive endoderm cells yeah. um, and I just want to get to downstream lineages. Yeah. And that's, that really says to me, you know, we're actually solving a, a really key problem for customers. Nice. Um, can, can I, can I uh, I'm sorry, you continue because we asked you about the other products. You continue and then I'll ask after that. Go ahead. No, um, and so in, in terms of our differentiation media, um, those are kind of the three germ layers that we hit. Um, uh-huh. We have some pretty exciting new products coming out uh, later this year, so so stay tuned. Okay. A- awesome. Um, question, this may be more technical. Sorry, um, people who are not growing cells, but I got to do it. Uh, um, 
so for pluripotent stem cells, there are different medias, right, that we use to maintain them. Does it matter in this context? You know, because a lot of times the, you know, transitioning a maintenance media, let's say that's KSR-based or something, that and into one of these inductions could cause cells to freak out a little bit. Is, this, is it designed to work with a specific maintenance media? Yeah, great question. So um, we design all these products to be used with our essential eight media. Um, so really seamless transition from essential eight over to these products. There's no pre-differentiation, or you don't have to, you know, adapt the cells in any way. Uh, however, you know, we are acutely aware that you know not everyone in the world uses essential eight. So we always check um, to make sure that these products can be used with you know things like KSR with feeders. Um, other types of uh, feeder-free media that are out there as well. So we make sure that they're compatible with with the systems. And then if a customer calls in and says, "Hey, I'm using Media X from Company Y," we can we can tell them yes, it'll work, or no, it won't. So. All right, great. Yeah, that's um, a great that's a great question, Chris. The starting point is so key, and everybody's got a different starting point. It seems like. Yeah, well, I can tell you that there are some medias out there that don't do well transitioning to some differentiation. So. Uh, that's why I just wanted to ask because there are some assays that we do in the lab that are are quite honest. Um, we just want to get to downstream neural cells, and um, you know some variability exists, especially when Yosef when we're using um, certain reagents in our differentiation that can be better lots than others. So to have a, a situation where I know I can get a standardized differentiation, get some data, could be helpful. So um, I guess before we go, Alex, is there a place we can go check this out? You know, if anyone wants to get more information. Yes, absolutely. You can go to uh, lifetechnologies.com slash differentiation. Um, and we actually have a brand new web page built out. And you can see the, you know, the, it's uh, a three germ layer approach. So you can click on each one and see which products are available to differentiate to those um, certain lineages. You know, I've been waiting for a gastrulation website, you know, just a website with all three layers. <laughs> <laughs> When did you ever think you would say that in life? You know, I've been waiting for a gastrulation website. You just did. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And um, everybody, uh, you know, go check it out, lifetechnologies.com slash differentiation. Um, thanks again, Alex. Nice talking with you. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. There we go. Another interview down for the books. Differentiation, man. It's like the ultimate piece to the puzzle because we can make stem cells pretty well now. It's just... Turning them into the things we want is the trick here. Yeah, and the efficiency in doing that, it's uh, so, yeah, terribly it's, it's important. <laughs> very important. So this is a way to standardize that efficiency. So go check it out. Um, all right, man. You want to rant? Yes. Close it down? Yeah, so uh, I guess I'm a natural hater, but this one, I feel like this is a real... But that's a rant. This is this, what we do. Yeah, yeah, this is what we do. And uh, I would, today we're going to rant about convenience fees. I don't uh, know if you've ever done... fees, man. A convenience fee. That are being... They rename them, too. Like, they'll, they can call it any fee they want. They can be like, it's the Golden Globe <laughs> crust fee, and you just pay it. Cause. I, I first saw my first convenience fee when I went on Ticketmaster to buy a ticket and the ticket was like $45 and then it was like $10 convenience fee. I'm like, what is this convenience fee? I, it's convenient for you to make that money, but how's this convenient for me? I don't, I don't, I don't get what this convenience it's, fee uh, yeah, is for. They don't tell you. Yeah. Like, what? They don't tell you. <laughs> 
I, they I, just it's just convenient for them to have convenient fees, and they have multiple convenient fees. Some of them. Yeah. It, what I I don't know what what it even stands for though. Like is like it, philosophically like what are they what what is so convenient like that I have to pay? Yeah, because I printed my own ticket. There was no delivery. Uh, what what's the convenience here except you making ten extra dollars on my ticket? Well, so yeah, so here's 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 the situation. When I go somewhere to buy something, you're making it and I'm paying you for it. The, what do you, why do I have to pay for the convenience of it? It's irrelevant. <laughs> like I, you know what I mean? This is not convenient. You're providing me something that I'm paying you for. It's not convenient at all. I have to pay, but that's the transaction. Why are you I'm not asking for convenience. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. So they got to at least rename it to like just extra fee or like you know, like F you, more money type yeah, fee or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Increasing our bottom line fee. Air, uh, <laughs> airline tickets, dude? Like oh, airline yeah. tickets are the worst. Yeah, yeah. Oh, have you, I, I mean, all my bills, my electric bill and my cell phone bill, I mean, there's like, there's about 10 extra charges on each of those bills where I'm like, I have no idea what this, this is. There's the FCC fee. There's the, you know, the delivery fee on my electric bill. I'm like... What are yeah, these? delivery fee. The, yeah. delivery, the, the delivery fee is always like that. And you're like, wait, what? you delivered what? What did you deliver? <laughs> you did, it's this... just set up. Like, I just get power that comes in. You didn't deliver anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, I don't know, uh, man. Anyhow, so convenience fees. That's a rant. We're going to stick with it. So uh, hopefully they'll rename them at least to be more honest. Because... Yeah, just be more honest. Don't lie to me. You yeah. know I have to pay it anyway. Yeah, yeah. if I want the convenience of having the product <laughs> you're selling. Uh, so. uh, man, yo, it's the, uh, so the Stem Cell Podcast, man. Thanks, everybody, for checking in. We'll see you on uh, 46. Yep. All right, man. Later.